Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. The series is entitled Real Talk because we're kind of like, I felt very strongly impressed from the Holy Spirit that we needed to start this year off by addressing some things and making sure everybody's on the same page as the scriptures, amen? There are certain topics and certain things that, in the Bible that you and I cannot afford to get wrong. And, and so please go and listen to the messages from the past few weeks. It's extremely important. I started introducing the person of the Holy Spirit last weekend. I can't go into the review. I have too much material to cover today because I want us to get to a certain place today where many of you are going to be able to receive an experience that you probably have not had up until this point. And I want you to see it in Scripture. I don't want you to receive something based on what I say. I want you to receive something because you now have faith that you know what the Bible says about this topic about the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. This week we're talking about a topic that's addressed in both the Gospel of John and the book of Acts, and we see all throughout the, the early church, this was a commonplace thing that people experienced, and I'm talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, okay? This has the potential of being a kind of a controversial topic, and God never meant it to be controversial. Jesus never meant it to be controversial. Mankind and religious thinking made it a controversial topic. You're gonna see in the scriptures today that Jesus laid things out very clearly, the Holy Spirit himself laid things out very clearly, and you're gonna see what the early church believed about this topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? So, I wanna start out in Gospel of John chapter seven. Now, the Gospel of John chapter seven takes place, it's recorded, recording an incident that took place during a specific Jewish feast day, okay? This is a week-long feast, it's celebrated in the fall, and at the end of this week, on the last day, the great culmination of this feast, Jesus stood up in the temple and made a declaration. It's recorded for us here, and it's extremely important because it pertains to every one of us who are believers, okay? On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, he's, he's referring, he's actually quoting the book of Isaiah, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And some of the translation says, rivers of living water shall spring forth from your innermost being, okay? Then it goes on to explain, in verse 39, by this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified, okay? So here's what I want to explain to you. I want you to go back in time with me, in your mind. We are in Jerusalem, you're standing in the temple. The temple is this gigantic compound with inner rooms, outer, inner courts, outer courts, and then finally you have the walls surrounding that whole platform there, that big temple mount, and then you have the streets of Jerusalem. Picture yourself in there, there's hundreds of thousands of people that have descended on Jerusalem to celebrate this holiday. Now, what would take place during this holiday? The traditions of that time, biblical historians tell us, that during this holiday, that they would go to the Pool of Siloam, which was located also in Jerusalem. Remember, the Pool of Siloam is where Jesus sent the blind man after he, he, he laid hands on him and put mud in his eyes. He sends him, wash your, wash your eyes out in the Pool of Siloam. He goes there, washes his eyes, he receives his, his, his healing. You remember that, right? So they go to that particular pool, this spring, 
And they would take thousands and thousands of gallons of water, bring them up to the Temple Mount, and at a particular time on that last great day, the culmination of this feast, they would release these thousands of gallons of water from the inner part of the temple. It would spill out into the outer courts, from the outer courts out into the streets. Now picture with this background, this backdrop, the water's pouring down and Jesus makes this declaration. Is anybody thirsty? Come to me. And that was symbolizing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would take place, obviously, in Jerusalem and spread forth. Jesus made them this promise. And, it, and John, now he's writing years later of this incident, he says this was for the believers who would eventually receive the Holy Spirit. Some translations say this Jesus spoke that the believers should receive the Holy Spirit. So now, mind you now, I want you to get the exact context here. Remember that the Gospel of John chapter seven is recording the time before Jesus went to the cross, right? Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. He's not yet been crucified. He hasn't died. He hasn't resurrected yet. All that would take place later. So John's saying to them, Jesus was saying, in the future, you believers are going to receive this Holy Spirit. Up until that point, they had not received it because the Holy Spirit could not come to dwell inside of an individual until after Jesus rose from the dead, right? You, kept, you got this now? So he made this promise to them. Those of you that are believers, at some later point from then, would receive the Holy Spirit. You got it? Okay. Jesus predicted that there would be a time when every believer would have the opportunity. Say that with me. Opportunity. That they would have the opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit. How does a believer received the Holy Spirit. That's what we're gonna talk about today. What happens when a believer received the Holy Spirit? What evidence is there that, the, that a believer has received the Holy Spirit? These are all very, very important questions. Because for the most part, this stuff has been swept under the carpet by denominations and by churches and by church leaders for years and years and years. And it's important. Why is it important? Because Jesus said we should receive the Holy Spirit. Now. Receiving the Holy Spirit is a twofold experience. It, it takes place in two different parts. You remember when we talked about salvation? We talked about the fact that when, when a person receives Jesus Christ and comes to the conclusion in your heart that you believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that he is the Son of God, that he was going to die on the cross for our sins, that God the Father raised him from the dead. The Bible tells us that when we believe this, we are then qualified to make a declaration of faith that we do believe in Jesus Christ. It says when we do that, instantaneously we go from death to life. We go from spiritual death to spiritual life. You got that? Okay, that's salvation. Now, at that moment of time when you said, Jesus, I believe in you, come into my heart, who came into your heart? It wasn't Jesus himself physically. It was his spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. Say that with me, inside. So that is the Holy Spirit within, okay? All right, let me give you some scripture here. John chapter 20. John chapter 20 takes place, it's it's recording what took place on that very first Easter Sunday night, the very first day of the resurrection. They discover the empty tomb in the morning. There's events that go on all throughout the day. At the nighttime, during the nighttime, early evening, they are hiding themselves, the disciples are hiding themselves in this little room because they're afraid that what the religious leaders did to Jesus, they're gonna come and look for them and do the same thing. I mean, how would you feel? If you've seen the leader of your group 
they crucified, they just massacred him. They're thinking if they did this to him, they're gonna do worse to us. So they're hiding themselves. Look at what happens here, it's recorded for us. John 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Of course, they they had seen, they, they knew the condition his body was in. They're thinking it's impossible for someone to have survived the brutal treatment that he received, yet here he is, after three days in the grave, here he is alive. So they believed. So because they believed, again, verse 21, Jesus says to them, peace be with you. But I want you to understand the depth and the significance of the statement that he made. He wasn't just saying peace to you, like calm down. He was saying shalom. What he said to them, shalom aleichem, peace, completeness, wholeness, calm, stability come upon you. Why? They're freaking out for three days. They're paralyzed with fear. I guarantee you nobody went out of the house. Why? They're scared to death that they're gonna end up on the same cross. And he comes and he says to them, all this, basically what he's saying is all this fear has robbed you. Now I've come, I'm here, look at my wounds, look at my side, look at my hands. It's me, I told you. I would rise again. And so faith rises up in their hearts, and what happens? They receive salvation. Now look what happens when they receive salvation. Verse 22, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is significant, why? Because the last time we see this scenario play out is in the book of Genesis in the very beginning. It says that God formed man out of the dust of the earth. Now, if we were there and you were there and I was there, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have seen somebody like you, know, you go to the beach and you, you, you make somebody out of sand. No, you would have seen a flesh and bone and blood human being laying on the ground. But he wasn't alive yet. He might have been moving. His eyes might have been twitching, flickering. But then the Bible says that God did this. He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and it says in the original language, and then Adam became a speaking spirit. In other words, he became somebody alive, someone who was connected to God. Jesus does the same thing, why? The disciples were alive physically. You and I were alive physically before we got born again. You could walk down the street, you can go shopping at the supermarket, you could cook a meal, you could talk to people, you could get on the phone but we weren't alive. When Jesus breathed on them, it was just like what God did to Adam. Breathed his life inside. What do you think went into those disciples? The Holy Spirit of God. So now they've got the Holy Spirit where? Within. But then in John 7, you remember, he talked about a separate experience. Jesus talks about a separate experience here. See, because in salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to mark us, to identify us as we belong to him. Are you catching this? Let me give you a scripture. Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. And now you Gentiles, and the Gentiles refers to people that were not connected to God, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. We heard that, right? And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. So what's the qualifier there? We believed. We believed. When you believe in Christ, 
then Jesus identifies you as belonging to him. How did he do that? Look at this, by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. So the Holy Spirit comes in at salvation. He comes in to fill you, to to be inside you, to live inside you, to abide in you forever. You remember Jesus said, I'm gonna give you another one just like me. He's gonna be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You remember that? Okay. So now, in salvation, we become sealed. We are marked. I don't know what it looks like, but I know this. In the realm of the spirit, there's some way to identify the ones that belong to him. We have that mark on us. If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you consider yourself a child of God, being born again, you have that seal of the Holy Spirit on you. Amen? But now, now Jesus talks about a secondary experience. Right? Would you agree? Well, we just read in John chapter 20 that on an Easter Sunday night, Jesus breathed and the Holy Spirit came in the disciples, yes? They received salvation, they received the Holy Spirit, yes? Okay, but, but now watch this now. Jesus talks about a secondary experience. Now, now watch this. This secondary experience is only available to believers. The initial experience of the Holy Spirit, which is salvation, is available to whosoever believes, right? Every individual that's ever been born, ever will be born, ever on the earth, that's on the earth right now, every single person can receive the initial experience of the Holy Spirit, which is salvation, right? Bible makes it clear. Anyone who believes receives, yes? Okay. But now this secondary experience that Jesus talks about, we're gonna look at it in detail now, that is only available to those who've experienced the initial. Are you getting this? The secondary experience of the Holy Spirit, which we call, the Bible calls, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, is only available to those who have already experienced salvation. Big difference. You follow me? All right, let's look. Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one records for us everything that took place between the time that Jesus rose from the dead. You remember he rose from the dead and then he stays on the earth for 40 days, right? At the end of those 40 days, he ascends into heaven. If you were raised in the church that I was raised in, we called that Ascension Thursday, you remember that? Everybody took off from school, we all played hooky, went to the beach, because it was a Catholic holiday and the public school couldn't keep us there, right? You remember that, right? Okay, so this is 40 days after the resurrection. Here is a conversation that's recorded just before Jesus leaves the earth and ascends into heaven. Acts chapter one, verse four. Once when he was eating with them, the disciples, he commanded them. He commanded. He didn't suggest. He didn't say it might be a nice thing if you guys did this. He commands them. Look at the command he gives them. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, and I was gonna bring them back to when he first met them, three and a half years before. John baptized with water. Who's he talking about? John the Baptist, right? John baptized with water, but in just a few days, in fact, it would be 10 days later, in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait a second, Jesus. Are you mixed up? Did you forget that on Easter Sunday night, you you showed up in the room, you said, Shalom Aleichem, then you breathed on us, and you said, receive the Holy Spirit? Didn't we receive the Holy Spirit then? 
Did they? Yes. But what experience did they receive? They received initially the experience of the Holy Spirit within. Now, Jesus is talking about another experience with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit upon. Two different experiences available to the same individuals. Are you listening to me? Okay. So let's see what he talks about. What is he saying here? So obviously, he's talking about another separate experience. There are some of you in this room, I'm sure. I wasn't raised this way. But there's some of you that were raised in certain denominations that they told you that you received all the Holy Spirit you're going to receive when you receive salvation. Well, then Jesus obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, if I have to judge between a religious leader who's trying to teach me their own opinion, or I have to judge by Jesus and the word of God, I think I'm going to go with Jesus. What do you think? Okay? It's very clear that Jesus talked about two separate experiences with the Holy Spirit. So now let's look at, again at verse 6. Verse 6, the conversation continues. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And I'm sorry, maybe it's my weird sense of humor. I just picture Jesus sitting there, and they keep asking him. You know, like when the little kid comes up to you, Mom, can I have a cookie? Mom, can I have a cookie? Mom, can I have a cookie? Mom, or better yet, oh, can I have a juice box? Mom, I want a juice box. I want a juice box. And, and Jesus is going, I can't wait to get back to heaven. <laughs> they keep hammering him with the same question over and over again. Why? Because they are thinking natural, just like you and I. We always think natural. God, when are you going to give me a car? God, I need a new car. God, I need a car. The car's no good. God, God, give me a car. God, give me a car. God, I need a house. I need a house. I need an apartment. I need a job. And the angels are in heaven going, how do you put up with them? <laughs> Give them what they want so they'll be quiet. So imagine the disciples, every conversation, every time they could work this conversation, is now, is now, now the time, now the time. Why? Because they're thinking, okay, they're used to thinking the Messiah, when he comes, is going to kick out the Romans, and he's going to restore the kingdom back to Israel, and he's going to put a descendant of David on the throne again. This is all they're obsessed with. Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah is coming on a white horse. He's going to kick out all the Romans. They did not understand that there needed to be the church age take place before any of this could happen. Paul talks about it as the mystery of the church. They didn't understand that. They're thinking, okay, he's here. Come on, let's go. Let's get in Rome. Let's clean house. And he says to them, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know. Look at verse 8. Now he wants to refocus them. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He said, don't worry about those times. Don't worry about when I'm coming back. Don't worry about what I'm going to restore. Don't worry about these things. That's not what you're to be about right now. What you're to be about right now is you go and tell everybody that I have risen from the dead, that I am alive, and that salvation is found in me. He hasn't changed his mind, church. What he spoke to them, he speaks to us. He hasn't changed the plan. We're still in the church age. We are the continuation of the book of Acts. Are you listening to me? So now let's watch what happens 10 days later as he promised. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days from Easter Sunday, okay? 
40 days Jesus is on the earth, spending time with disciples. On the 40th day, he ascends into heaven. 10 days later, look what happens. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present, how many? How many? And everyone present was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And how do we know they're filled with the Holy Spirit? Look, he tells us how we know that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And began speaking in other languages. Some translation says other tongues. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Wow. What a display. What a spectacle. I don't mean that in the wrong sense. Compare this when Jesus was born. Jesus is born. There's a half a dozen people that know about it. Quiet. Nobody knows what's going on. The little child in Bethlehem. But when the Holy Spirit comes, phew, sounds like a tornado is ripping through Jerusalem. And on top of that, they see something that looks like fire. He said it was fire, but it looked like fire settling on each one of them. There's 120 of them there. And every single one of them began to do what? Speak. What were they speaking? Their natural languages? No. They're speaking supernatural languages. And they are speaking languages. Now, we don't know if they were actually talking the languages of the people that were around or if they were speaking supernaturally and the people had the supernatural ability to hear what they were saying and to receive what they were saying. But look what happened. At that time, because this is a big feast, this is one of the feasts that the, the Jews are commanded to come to Jerusalem. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. You realize that the, Rome, the entire Roman Empire, the entire Mediterranean world had pockets of Jews living in all of the different sections of the Roman Empire. Every year, they'd have to make the trip to Jerusalem for the Passover and for the Pentecost. So there's Jews there, there's people, there's believers there from all over the Roman Empire. Ones that spoke Latin, ones that spoke Egyptian, ones that spoke Persian and Libyan and Greek and, and parts of Asia. And it says every one of them heard the disciples in their own language, praising God, glorifying God. What or who gave them the ability to speak these languages that they never could speak before? The Holy Spirit. You're going to see, as I'm going to show you, and i got to move fast, that the, the, through the entire book of Acts, the same pattern is followed. People get born again. They receive the Holy Spirit. Then they get water baptized, or they get born again. They get water baptized, and then they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every single time. Why has it changed? Only God knows. But this is a pattern that God established in the very beginning. This is the pattern that the early church followed for at least a couple of hundred years. People got born again. They either got baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit, or they got baptized in the Holy Spirit then got baptized in water. I'm going to show you some different instances. You ready? You ready? Yes. All right. So, first experience with the, with the Holy Spirit is what? Salvation. Second experience is to empower for service. Acts chapter 8. Philip one of the disciples, right? One of the apostles. He goes to Samaria. Samaria is a town. You remember the town where Jesus met that woman at the well? You remember that story? Okay. They're, they're not considered Jews. They're kind of considered half-breeds. 
So the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. Samaritans and the Jews. But all of a sudden, Philip goes to Samaria and he's preaching the gospel. He preaches the gospel. What's the gospel? That Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that Jesus rose again from the dead, and he's alive right now. And that we need, we need to receive our salvation by faith. So he preaches and the whole city gets saved. Everybody. It says in that city it was great joy. Why? They all got born again. Now look what happens in, in verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. Philip comes back. He says, you guys are not going to believe this. You know those Samaritans up there? They're not really Jews and we're not supposed to have nothing to do with it. Guess what? The whole city got born again. So what did they experience? The very initial experience with the Holy Spirit, right? They got born again. So where's the Holy Spirit? In them. In them. Okay. Now Peter and John... They travel up there to see this. It says, verse 15, as soon as they arrived, they prayed with these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they got born again, then they got water baptized. But that's as far as they went, and that's where most of the church world is. You get born again, you get baptized in water, and then it stops right there. But that's not where it stopped in the early church. And that was never God's will. It was never Jesus' will. Remember John chapter 7. Jesus said the believers should receive the Holy Spirit. When? After he rose from the dead. You catching this? Then Peter and John laid hands on these, upon these believers and received the Holy Spirit. Well, well, how do we know they received the Holy Spirit? How do we know they spoke in tongues, Pastor? Because it doesn't say there. Well, if you read the rest of the chapter, I'll tell you what happens. There's a man there in Samaria who was considered a magician. He's obviously somebody who operated in witchcraft, worked together with the devil. He saw and he heard something happen when Peter and John laid hands on these people. How do we know that? Because he goes to Peter and says, hey, listen, I'll give you money if you give me this power to do this. Because you, you find out, if you live long enough, anytime God does something, somebody's going to try to make money off of it. They're going to sell you prayer cloths. They're going to sell you the piece of the rug that they were kneeling on. They're going to sell you a candle. They're going to make you pay to light a candle or drink water from something. Are you listening to me? That man heard and saw something when they laid hands on these people in Samaria. Now, look what happens next. Acts chapter 9. You remember Saul? Who's Saul? Paul. Saul eventually becomes Paul. Saul of Tarsus, an enemy of the Christians, enemy of the believers in Jesus. He is convinced that they're wrong, he's obsessed with wiping them out, and so the leaders in Jerusalem send him to Damascus, Syria, same city that's there today, to go arrest all these heretics, all these Christians that are there in Damascus. On his way to Damascus, Jesus appears to him, and Jesus isn't exactly happy with what he's doing. Paul, Saul, excuse me, falls off his horse, is struck blind, not struck blind, he's not struck blind at a punishment, he is struck blind so that Jesus could get his attention. Why? Because this guy is a madman. He is obsessed with accomplishing this mission. And it's the mercy of God that Jesus gets his attention. He's struck blind for three days. He believes now who Jesus is because Jesus has showed himself to him. So for three days, he's in Damascus blind. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit, speaks to a man named Ananias. Let's pick up that conversation. Chapter 9. Verse 17, so Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. So here, he got born again. Ananias lays hands on him. He receives his sight. He receives the Holy Spirit. 
and then he's baptized. You say, well, pastor, it doesn't say soft, soft spoken tongues. Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, decades later, Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth in Greece. There was a church full of believers there. They were abusing the spiritual gifts. I mean, they were just wackos. They are just really flaky. And so Paul writes them a letter. And look what he says in verse 18. I thank God. Read it with me. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Where should we guess that took place? When Ananias went and laid hands on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you were raised in denominations. They taught you that Paul taught against speaking in tongues. Was Paul, did he have like a dual personality disorder? Because here he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. What he was trying to teach him, if you read those chapters, chapter 12, 13, and 14, he was trying to teach him how to operate in order with these kind of supernatural gifts. He wasn't saying that the supernatural gifts were wrong or that they would cease to exist. You catching this? Now let me, let me show you this one here. Acts chapter 10. Cornelius. You remember Cornelius? Cornelius is a, is a Roman official. He's a military man. He's stationed in, in Palestine, in Jerusalem there. He's a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Somewhere or another, while he's stationed there, he's converted to Judaism. He's a believer. He spends time in prayer. He gives generously to the poor. And one day as he's praying, an angel appears to him and says, Cornelius, send, to, send men to Joppa, to such and such a house. There's a man named Simon Peter there. Call for him. Have him come to your house. He's got a message to speak to you. While that's going on, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and says, there's three men that are going to come looking for you. I've sent them. Don't be fearful. Go with them. So the three men show up, Peter goes with them, Peter takes a couple of other guys, other, other, other believers with him, and they go to Cornelius' house. You heard me teach this a couple weeks ago. When they get to Cornelius' house, who's there? All of Cornelius' family, all of Cornelius' servants, and Cornelius' soldiers, the people that were close to him. And Peter begins to preach the gospel to these Gentiles, they're non-Jews, okay? And watch what happens as he's preaching the message to them. Verse 44 says, even as Peter was saying these things, what things? He's preaching the gospel of Jesus. The Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. So somewhere, at some point, while Peter's preaching, they all became believers. They believed. So they experienced salvation right on the spot. Nobody had to lead them in prayer. They all believed, and they received salvation. What happens? And the Holy Spirit, as Peter's preaching, fell upon all who were listening to the message. Verse 45, the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Watch, look at verse 46, for they heard them speaking in other tongues. What was the evidence that they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They heard them speaking in tongues. And praising God, then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now? that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So what do we have here? They're saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then baptized in water. You see it? It's right there, it's clear. This is the pattern of the early church. This is the pattern that continued for hundreds of years until the word of God 
would stop being preached. And for almost a thousand years, the word of God was out of the hands of the people. When you take the word of God out of the hands of the people, you do not have salvations, you do not have baptisms, you don't have baptism in the Holy Spirit. Thank God that a little monk about 500 years ago, in fact, exactly 500 years ago, had enough guts to say this is wrong. After almost 1,200 years of darkness, that man's name was Martin Luther, and he opposed the system of his time and said this word of God has got to be put back in the hands of the people because we're not saved by our deeds, we're not saved by our works, we're not saved by lighting candles, we're not saved by playing, praying with beads, we are not saved by what we give away and money that we give away. We are saved by faith alone. Amen. Go ahead. So now you're set, you might be sitting there going, this is wonderful, this is great, this is so interesting, but what purpose does speaking in tums, t- tums? <laughs> what purpose does speaking in tongues serve? What benefit is there? And the scriptures tell us that. The scriptures tell us that. What did Jesus originally promise was gonna happen when the Holy Spirit came upon them? He said you would receive power. You remember he said to them, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive this gift from my Father. What was he saying to them? Guys, I know you, I've been with you for three and a half years. Don't walk out this door, don't talk to anybody, don't meet anyone, I don't want you to talk to anyone, why? Because you're not ready yet. Yet the most of the church world today thinks to just get baptized, you get born again, you get baptized, that's it, I'm done. Jesus told them, and these are the ones that lived with him, these are the ones that experienced everything with first hand. If he thought they were not equipped yet, what makes you think you're equipped? Now watch this, you say I'm not going to heaven? No, calm down, cool your jets. Listen to me. Salvation qualifies us for heaven, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit qualifies us to live on this planet. If we were immediately translated off the earth when you got born again, you wouldn't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we live here. We have to spend time on this earth. We have to bring a message. We're supposed to testify that Jesus is alive to everybody that we meet. And Jesus said in order to do this, you need this secondary experience with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this question because we're gonna have the opportunity for many of you to receive in just a few minutes. How many of you experienced water baptism? How many, how many of you went through water baptism? I'm talking about as an adult, that when you were a believer. As a believer, you experienced. Would you agree that something supernatural took place on the inside after you got baptized? You know darn well, man, something changed. I don't know what it is, I can't pinpoint it, but I am not the same person that went in that water. It's even stronger with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was something different, something different. I'll never forget, man. Because the question is, how do I receive this Holy Spirit? We saw that the apostles sometimes laid hands on people and they received it. Sometimes people received on their own. My experience, I got born again April 25th, 19, excuse me, 19, yeah, 1984. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit sometime in August. I really, to this day, wish I had written the day down. I know it was on a Sunday afternoon after church. I came home from church, the little church I was in, and thank God, this, that, that little church, every, this happened constantly, constantly. I wanted this. I noticed that there was a difference between the people who had received this gift and the people who didn't. I know there was a difference in my life. There was a difference. I knew these people had, I experienced salvation. I thank God for that. 
I knew that I was changed. I knew that I'm going to heaven. But I also knew that I was still missing something. Now, some of you, again, were taught, no, you get all the Holy Ghost, you get when you get born again. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus told him, you city, you're born again, you're saved, you're going to heaven, but don't leave Jerusalem until you receive this gift. I knew I was missing something. There was a frustration, there was a lack of, just a lack of power. I knew if I died, I was going to heaven, but I also knew I was not equipped yet. And so I went home on a Sunday afternoon one time, sometime in August that year, and I was home by myself, I don't know, Barb was out, I don't know where she was, out chopping or whatever, I don't know. Don't tell her I said that. (laughs) And I'm in my family room by myself, and I just said, Lord, I want what you have for me. I don't understand it all, but there's a lot I don't understand that I've experienced already. But I know I want this. Now, I believe it's your will for me to have this because I see, as I'm reading the book of Acts, that this is what everybody else experienced. So I want this. So I lift my hands up. By myself, I'm in, I'm in the family room, and I just, I didn't know what else to do, so I just start worshiping God. Father, I praise you. Father, I worship you, and here it comes. Now, now I didn't talk like that, that good back then. I was lucky to get da, da, da out. <laughs> but I knew, because everything starts with a seed, right? But then as you continue, and you continue, and you continue to yield yourself, and you continue to let the Holy Spirit pray through you, speak through you, all of a sudden it comes like Jesus, exactly what he said, a river of living water. So I'd walk around the house, how do you think this church came into existence? Because in 1994, I knew something was coming. I knew there was more that God wanted me to accomplish. I knew. But I didn't know what, and I didn't know how, and I didn't know when. So I would stay home, and I would take time by myself. I hired a manager to run my business. And I'd walk around the house. Because the Bible says, in the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 14, he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks unto God, not unto man. And he speaks, watch this, divine mysteries. You can pray out your future. You can pray out the plan of God for your marriage, for your family, for your finances, for whatever. You can pray for your neighbors. You can pray for this church. Please, you can pray for me. Why? You're praying out divine mysteries. Why the mysteries? We don't understand what they mean. But then as you pray, God may give you a glimpse. And God, and all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa. And then God showed me this vision. I talked about it in the first service, and somebody came up to me and said, I saw the same exact thing. In 1994, I'm walking around my bedroom, and all of a sudden, I see this picture. Now, it wasn't here, it was in here. I see this picture, and I see this map. And it's a map of the United States, and it's like one of those childish ones, like when you, you buy for your kids, and it's like the map of the United States, and each state is a little puzzle. And I see this map, and all of a sudden, I see, and I look, and out of the Atlantic Ocean comes this wave. And it comes, and it crashes on New Jersey, and then goes, Nobody had to tell me. I didn't have to ask anybody what the interpretation was. I knew exactly what God was showing me, that the day was going to come, that a powerful move of the Holy Spirit that he was going to pour out his glory was going to hit the East Coast, and it was just going to start here and go right across the country, and we're going to see it. Are you here? We're going to see it. Jude says, Jesus' brother, 
who experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost said this, you build yourself up when you pray in your most holy faith, praying in the spirit. There's something about it. I can tell you this, I'll know sometimes, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't even pray in English, all I'm praying is in tongues and I'm praying in the spirit, I know something's coming that I need to be strengthened for. I'll know that either something's going on with a family in the church or something's coming on in the national scene or something, I can't explain it to you, but the more I had that urgency to pray in tongues, the more I realized now, something's coming, something's coming, I need to be strong. Maybe it's somebody's marriage that's under attack. Maybe, what? Because I'm the shepherd of this flock. Now, it wasn't always that way, but I wasn't always a pastor. I didn't need it then. I need it now. Listen to me. I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, and Paul talks about it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the entrance into the supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit. But I don't know what I'm saying. You don't need to. All you know is this, Jesus said we're supposed to receive it. The evidence in the early church was when a person received the Holy Ghost, they received a language, a spiritual prayer language. And that you can pray and God knows what you're saying, your spirit knows what you're saying, but guess who doesn't know what you're saying? The enemy of your soul has no idea what you're talking about. And that's why tongues has become such a controversial issue because the devil hates the idea of a human being having that supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit on their life. Why? Because he's got to deal with another Jesus on the earth. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.